Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. They source the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantity needed. There's no food waste. All delivered to your doorstep in a special insulated box. For 50% off of your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and enter the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. Stephen Marr, political journalist, contributor to McLean's Magazine, joining me now from Ottawa. Hello. Good morning. Stephen, you can just call me Alex Jones because today's show is all about conspiracy theories. The rogue Indian political elements who conspired to make Justin Trudeau look like an ass. They did a really good job. Carolyn Mulroney's dastardly conspiracy to somehow get Patrick Brown to hire a 20-year-old woman who he was trying to get with and then who he later hired. And of course, the years-long newspaper industry conspiracy to get a government bailout of $10 million a year hardly seems worth the effort. Welcome to Shortcuts. Stephen, this episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Michelle McNelly, Morgan Hunter, Katie Hill, Brett McDonald, Alex Bayer, Allison Kolpitz, and Mackenzie Ewing. 
I'm Mackenzie, Customer Success Director in Toronto, and I support Canada Land because I've learned more about the Canadian media from listening to the show over the past few years than I did during my entire communications undergrad. And this episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Stephen, do you cook? I do. On my, on my Twitter bio, it says I'm a devotee of Marcella Hazan. Do you have time to marinate a steak in balsamic marinade and, and to julienne potato wedges, parsnips, things like that? Is that something that you find time for? Or, or do you, like me, sometimes find yourself with not enough time to cook as you would like? Uh, certainly. I'm often pressed for time. You're also very game. Thank you for the help with this. Uh, HelloFresh is really good if you love to cook, but you don't have the time. Look at some of these, these recipes. Balsamic steak with red cabbage and potato wedges. Spicy shakshuka with chickpeas and feta cheese. Uh, smoky barbecue beef sandwich with sautéed peppers and onions and roasted parsnip fries. I don't have to smoke beef and julienne parsnips to make roasted fries, but that's a lovely, thoughtful recipe. And with HelloFresh, it is delivered to your door, all ready to go, fresh, locally sourced ingredients, and they have tested these recipes to make sure that it can be cooked in 30 minutes or less. So this is a wonderful way to step up your home cooking game. I've used HelloFresh. I like it a lot. You'll get 50% off of your first box when you visit hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and enter the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. Prime Minister Modi's glaring silence on the visit of Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to India hasn't gone unnoticed. No welcome tweet, no airport hug. Is Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau getting the Modi snub? Ouch. <laughs> now, now that snub may have its roots in Trudeau's perceived soft approach to Sikh extremist groups in Canada. And he frankly didn't help the situation by going in heavy on the national dress pandering with Indian outfit after Indian outfit that seemed a bit much. I mean, it's not like when Modi visits Ottawa, he turns up in full Canadian formal dress, by which I of course mean a gravy-stained Toronto Raptors jersey and Roots sweatpants. What do we call this thing, Stephen? Uh, Justin Trudeau's Bengal bungle? Uh, Justin's Bali folly? Schmuck in a sari? Can you help me out? Got a headline? Uh, I haven't, no. Been a while since I've written a headline, so I'm rusty. All right. I mean, there's just so much mockery and scoring to go around. Uh, you know, even John Oliver's gotten in on it. And most of it is uh, is, is being leveled at the prime minister uh, and his office, you know, quite rightly. But, you know, we're going to talk about the media here. I'll venture a, a summary of the media side to this, and uh, you can let me know if I got anything wrong. Sound good? Yep. Okay, so, you know, we all saw all the headlines about the ridiculous costume changes and that he's getting snubbed by Modi and there's no there's no tweet and, you know, all, all these different things. But, but finally, this just went from bad to much, much worse. In the midst of this, like, growing catastrophe, this embarrassing, the Jaspal Atwal, who was convicted in the attempted murder of an Indian cabinet minister who was visiting Canada in 1980. I think he, he, like, shot the guy, right? Tried to shoot the guy? Yeah, and he was charged in the assault but not convicted of former federal liberal cabinet minister Ujjal Dessange. He beat up Ujjal Dessange, and somehow he's invited to these diplomatic functions to Justin Trudeau's parties. He gets into one and takes a photo with Sophie before they uh, they figure it out and they disinvite him, and they've got egg on their face. Like, how the hell did this happen? And as they're scrambling, information starts to get pushed to lots of media, as I understand it. And the government says, look, this is a background session. You can't say who you're getting this from. And who is it? It's the top national security advisor, Daniel Jean. He is floating this wild spy novel conspiracy that, no, 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 it's not our fault after all, even though BC Liberal MP Randeep Sarai took full responsibility for this. No, no, no. This was the Indian government or rogue elements in the Indian. Don't quote me on it. 
but there's a conspiracy in the Indian government. Rogue elements want us to look stupid and want to get in the way of uh, make us look bad, like we're soft on on this Khalistani terrorism issue. And to the media, that puts you in a really tricky position. I mean, Stephen, can you talk a little bit about like the ways in which uh, off the record or deep background information gets pushed by senior government sources to the media and, and what that relationship relies on and, and how this, I think, completely violated the terms of that kind of relationship? Sure. So over the years, I've been a political reporter in Ottawa since 2004. And from time to time, sometimes because you ask, sometimes because the government wants you to know stuff, you'll have chats with senior officials on background. It's a, often an excellent way to find out the way something works in government. Oh, you're doing a story on the seal hunt. Well, uh, we'll put you on the line with the guy who actually manages the quota, that sort of thing. Or um, uh, yesterday was the budget lockup. Typically, there are officials in there to explain the numbers to reporters. But usually, they're not peddling John le Carre plots, right? (laughs) Usually, you are able to say, okay, well, now I know that the reason that the fisheries department thinks they should cut back on the seal quota this year is because blah, blah, blah. This decision to put this guy out and to peddle something which, to the best of my knowledge, is not true, puts the reporters in a odd position because they must have been sitting there saying, well, this sounds like baloney. And to make it clear, it really looks like the government massively messed up by letting this guy, inviting him to these diplomatic receptions. And instead of saying, someone made a mistake and there will be consequences, or in addition to saying that, yeah, right, they did say that, yeah. although the guy they blamed, the buck doesn't stop with a, a backbench MP. The buck is supposed to stop in the prime minister's office. What the prime minister has to deal with right now is this, you know, a series of escalating catastrophes where not only does he have this guy peddling this stuff to the media on background, but once he's exposed as being Daniel Jean, which they're not even denying, Trudeau backs him up and says, well, when somebody of Daniel Jean's position is peddling information, it's probably because it's true. Now, the gauntlet is thrown then. Like he's saying, yeah, it's true that the Indian government was setting us up. So now India comes back and says, well, that is just baseless. It's not true. And it's unacceptable. Unacceptable. That's like our relationship cannot withstand this accusation. So now it's threatening like Canada's relationship with India. The Times of India calls this a disaster that has little parallel in India's recent diplomatic history. There's all kinds of issues here. Daniel Jean, he he, he is not supposed to work for Trudeau politically. He's the public servant. And mobilizing that for partisan purposes is itself an issue. I've called Daniel Jean, spoke to his flack, haven't gotten a call back. I don't think anyone in the media is getting calls back about this. So you can, there's blame to go around everywhere, but let's let's, like focus on on the media here because you've got some choices when you're getting peddled this bullshit. And, and Stephen, as you say, it's not true. Like, 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 first of all, Jean was like saying maybe, probably, likely. He was couching his terms. And then if you think it through as your colleague Terry Glavin did, you're like, well, that can't be true because first of all, he's been allowed back in India a number of times before this. And even if they were able to somehow clear him from some blacklist to get him into India, you were the guys who let him into the party. So then you guys have to be in on it. Like at least the liberal MP Randeep Sarai has to be in on it. So the whole thing is full of holes. And correct me if I'm wrong, but if somebody gives you information off the record 
and, and ask for anonymity and you grant it to them, but then they lie to you, that violates the terms of that relationship and you, you now are not beholden to keep their identity off the record. Is that not how it usually works? Well, I can't tell you how many thousands of off-the-record conversations I've had over the years as a working as a political journalist. What I always think is if someone knowingly lies to me, then I would burn them. That has never happened because there's often a sort of gray shadow. Somebody may tell you something that uh, is untrue, but you have to know that they were not mistaken. That's the sort of rule that I follow, that they're telling you a malicious lie. They're knowingly telling you a falsehood. So I don't know whether the reporters in this case are prepared to reach that conclusion about this guy. No one was. I mean, you've got some options. You could burn them, which is pretty extreme. And as you say, you have to be pretty damn sure that not only were they telling you bad information, but they knew they were. Nobody quite got to that level. You can just not run it. That's always a choice. You could just not run the story that you're being spun. You could do what David Aiken did and said, uh, here's the information we're getting, but I am as suspicious as I can be. It does not pass the smell test. I will pass on to you what he's saying, but I'll contextualize this with my deep, deep suspicion about this. And they have every reason to spin us because they're trying to remove blame from themselves. So I think that's a good way to go because you're giving uh, as much information as you can, you know, and Aiken did so while still honoring the anonymity. Or you could do what the CBC did, what uh, Peter Zimanek and Katie Simpson did at the CBC. But I have to believe that the head of news, Jennifer McGuire, signed off on a story uh, that went, went this high. And they just swallowed the story and passed it along without scrutiny. It's a single source story from a party who had every reason to spin them and their headline actually contain the phrase rogue Indian political elements. Rogue Indian political elements may be trying to make Canada look weak on Sikh extremism. And then the last word, source. You know, it's the source who's saying that. And I don't know what possible justification. I mean, how is this just not journalistically a huge fuck up from the CBC and one that has other implications because of perceived, you know, I mean, like, look, not to put too fine a point on it, Stephen, there are some people working for the CBC who would not have jobs if Justin Trudeau hadn't been elected. I think they have to be very careful uh, about this kind of thing because they're under constant, on social media, they're under constant suspicion from critics of the liberals for being soft on them. So in a story like this where, as you point out, I think Aiken took a, a more skeptical and successful approach to the same information, I think that the CBC wants to guard carefully against repeating this sort of thing where where they appear to be softer on the government that has provided them with hundreds of millions of dollars. Look, I'll go further than that. This isn't them being soft on Trudeau. This is them being used as a tool as Trudeau wildly spins and plays politics in, in you know, a very bald and, and, and transparent way that completely has fallen apart. You know, there's just so much focus on Trudeau, rightly so. And of course, it's become completely political. It's in question period. But like, Come on, CBC. Like, this is this is uh, Bush League stuff. Yeah, I think they want to guard against this. I often think this about the CBC. We've talked about this before. I think they should be looking at the BBC. It's quite rare, I think, that anyone says that the BBC is being soft uh, on the government of the day in Britain. Uh, but that may be partly because they've got a management structure with greater distance from the government of the day because of their funding model. Uh, those reporters, we're, I'm, I work in the press gallery with, uh, with these reporters, and you know I don't want to dunk on them for one story that th they seem to be too easy to, to swallow the government's line. I know they're, they both have good track records, but uh, I do think going forward, the CBC should be careful on this kind of file. 
I, I do too, and I'm not suggesting that they're actually in the tank with Trudeau, but they've put us in a position where how are we to know if this was just like them fucking up or them being in the tank, and then the CBC's critics who just believe completely. I mean, there's tons of CBC coverage that is very critical of whatever government is in power in the day. I do not believe the CBC just does the government's bidding, but they, they do exist and they do function systemically by the very nature of public broadcasting under a cloud of suspicion, and that's okay. Uh, we should uh, always be pushing them to like prove that they are as arm's length as they want to be, and this, this story did them no favors. I won't say that it redeemed them, but they did run a piece because, you know, there are other things that this brings up and getting a little bit more context and, and educating myself on this whole Khalistani issue. CBC Opinion, the, that controversial vertical, published a piece by Arshi Mann that really did edify me to some extent on the, like, why this issue is coming up and, like, how weird that is for young Sikhs who uh, do not have much sympathy with, uh, you know, a, a violent separatist Khalistani movement, but but yeah, anyhow, that, that piece is worth uh, is worth checking out. Check out Arshi Man's piece on this. But uh, <laughs> this was uh, it was a hell of a week. This story, it was a hell of a story. Big picture here: Trudeau spent goodness knows how much money of our money going to India, got terrible reviews in the international press, and the relationship with India is much worse than it was before he started. The Curry Fury. Now this is bordering on something racist, <laughs> Stephen. I don't think anyone wants to even hear the word Patrick Brown. I don't think that name, I think that, that people are so, so eager to move on from this as much as his party wants to put this behind them. And I think that uh, news readers want to get, get past this. This was a huge, huge deal. And it ended, and we're not asking certain questions about how it ended, and it does involve the media in a pretty in pretty deliberate way. I mean, it's just crazy, Stephen. Like a month ago, like Ontarians, if they had to choose between Kathleen Wynne and a bag of hair, they would have voted for the bag of hair. And Patrick Brown was that bag of hair. And then just as distinctly, he just seemed like defeated that press conference, just like his own people deserting him. There was no way back. And then my thoughts on him are well documented. I'm not a fan, but it was kind of... Like I was gawking, uh, would I say thrilled? I couldn't look away. He actually was mounting a comeback that, though I felt it was based on just an absolute obfuscation, crisis PR bullshit to the media, it was working. And I predicted on the show last week that if he if he could stay in, he would probably win, not just the race, but the premiership. And then after getting that close to getting it all back, he dumps it. And he says that he's doing it for a few different reasons. The first reason he gave is to fight his libel case against CTV. And another reason he gives is because of the toll it's taking on the female members of his family. And I want to call bullshit on the first excuse and hypocrisy on, on the second. But before we take that apart, Stephen, why do you think after fighting like a, like a rat cornered and actually getting somewhere, did Patrick Brown throw on the towel? What's the real reason? Well, I am told that this family stuff was serious, that somebody may have gone to his mother's house and scared his mother and she ended up in hospital. So I, I'm whatever else may be the case, that's sufficient reason. Things were getting fairly extreme, I think. Uh, the amount of personal stress and pressure that he's been under from the moment that that email landed from CTV until he stopped. It's a, it's a story of resilience in a way, well past the point where it made sense for him to keep fighting. He kept fighting. Lots of people kept telling him, you have to quit, stop, please. And he wouldn't. But politically, having mud chucked at him, tough stories, leaks, 
all kinds of things day by day. He was basically engaged for weeks fighting off stuff. And I'm not talking about the initial story, but things to do with nominations, with his house. And I, I was told that he didn't really have time to assess his political comeback chances until the last couple of days when they had uh, Main Street did a poll for them, which was leaked to the National Post. And he was able to start making calls and figuring out whether he had the support. Uh, I'm also told that he was advised, don't do it if you're going to come second. You're absolutely right. And your journalism revealed this really starkly. Nothing about his behavior, his attitude, his actions showed any sign that he was willing to lie down, even when all reason went against it. His party was was demanding it. Every editorial read was like, God, for the sake of your party, for the sake of the province, just stop it. Have, have some shame. I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying he's lying when he says that he cares about his family. That's the one that I'm calling hypocrisy on. His family, I'm sure, was under tremendous stress because he put them there. He invoked his family uh, in his comeback attempt, like ad nauseum. He put his sisters on camera. He talked about his mom. He talked about his grandmothers. He he talked about some stranger, some, some woman who who approached him at a gas station to say, keep fighting, Patrick. So nothing about what he was doing showed me that this guy was going to listen to reason whatsoever. So when he finally steps down, my suspicion is it's because he knows he can't win or if one of the many scandals looks like a lock. And the idea that he's going to devote himself to fighting this libel suit, I'm going to explore, like, I think there's a great opportunity to get into a larger discussion as to why people sue the media for libel and how that plays out and how often it's for show. And I want to dedicate an episode talking to some libel lawyers about that. Um, but I, 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 I can tell you that his libel suit is going to take months, if not years. He's not dedicating himself to that full time. So I don't know. I mean, on final analysis here, I mean, we're not at final analysis and maybe through the lawsuit, through this libel suit, we'll, we'll, we'll have enough information to make that analysis. But Stephen, you worked with Glenn McGregor. A lot of people feel that this was a media witch hunt. They still feel that way. And that Patrick Brown was done dirty and that this was a media witch hunt. When it all comes out, do you think that this was a case of the media doing its job and telling the public about things the public needed to know about a guy who wanted to run Ontario? Or was this something that CTV is going to be sorry they ran? What's your assessment? I'm sure you've put a lot of thought into it. I have, and I know all kinds of scraps of information about it, but I suspect that it's not possible to make that kind of judgment without more information. Brown and his people are confident that they have a winning case. That, that's what they say. That's what they say. CTV says they are confident that a close examination of their journalism will bear scrutiny. So when Brown begins his comeback, he has people say different things about the story. People come out, uh, you may remember Magilla Patterson, I think is her name, uh, gave an interview that to cast out on one of the stories. His ex-girlfriend who was there, uh, one of the alleged incidents. That's right, yeah. And there were other uh, people who, who um, spoke uh, off the record, we don't know their names, but to cast out on these things. When you look very closely at what they're saying and compare it with what, the anonymous women, female accusers have said, there is not necessarily factual conflict. What the sources friendly to Brown are saying does not contradict or delete, if you will, the accusations. No. It doesn't prove that anything that the women said was untrue. The one fact that changed is that one of the young women was older than 
reported in the initial story at the time of the incident. That is a significant difference. And I think Brown can rightly say, well, that was wrong. CTV has acknowledged that was wrong. Does that mean that the other allegations should not have been reported? Did CTV take reasonable steps to determine the, the facts about that? We don't know that, right? I mean, Brown says no, CTV says yes. He's going to have a hard time, I think. I mean, there's a couple of points. Uh, I think you pointed out one of them because that's a really big difference in terms of like the, the difference of a few months there that is the difference between 18 years old and 19 years old actually you know, changes the story and it changes the damage to his reputation. But the problem with that is, is that the way that libel law works is that reporters are allowed to be wrong. Do they know they were wrong and did they take reasonable steps to find out if they were right or wrong? So it's a harder thing to prove is uh, did they do their diligence there? And the second thing I think he's going to argue, they didn't give him enough time to respond. However, they had enough time to send a denial to CTV. Mm -hmm. Uh, they, They did have a chance to respond and they did not ask for more time. So these are the kind of things that become really important. You know, we'll talk to some lawyers about this, but libel suits are often filed by powerful people because it's part of a image rehabilitation campaign more so than necessarily it is that I'm going to win this this suit. And a lot of them fizzle out as the years go by. There's a lot of heat on Patrick Brown right now and, and suing for libel is what an innocent person would do. So I'm very skeptical that he dropped out of the race at this point, after everything that he did so that he could focus on clearing his name through this libel suit. It, it, it just, it, it, it's strange to me that nobody's picking up on that. Everyone seems so eager to move on from Patrick Brown to say like, wait a second, like everything he's saying about this just seems, you know, really dubious. Oh, about the libel case, you mean? About why he's leaving. You know, he, in, in, his, in his statement, I'm, I'm, I'm dropping out because of, uh, and, the, and he didn't put his, his family's health first. The first thing he said is to clear my name in this battle with CTV. That's the first reason he gave. Yeah. So, and I don't know why he previously thought that he could clear his name while staying in the race when everyone was telling him he would be better able to do it outside the race. So you're right. There's a sort of contradiction there between what he's saying now and what he said previously. Yeah. I think people will be studying this for years. This is one of the craziest stories, uh, not just in Ontario politics, but in Canadian politics. Uh, I wonder if other media outlets and you know retired editors and uh, commentators on social media saying about this, how can I put it? If they, if they have facts to back up their most critical conclusions about what happened at uh, CTV, uh, it seemed to me that, that some of the people reached conclusions that may later appear to have been premature. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. 
help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Hey, we're going to hear from our second sponsor uh, right now, and that is FreshBooks. Uh, it is tax time. If you are a freelancer or a small business owner, Stephen, you are a freelancer. Uh, I know what it's like, man. I know what it's like come tax time. You got a lot of things you want to be doing, and instead, it's all on you. You got to go through all of your receipts, all of your work-related expenses, uh, separate personal from work-related. You got to get that shoebox out and dig through it and 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 figure out what to hand your accountant or, or if you're putting your return together yourself, uh, how to wade through that. It's a huge drag. It's one that I, you know, I have memories of, but I haven't really experienced myself since I started using FreshBooks because it makes it really easy. I don't have a shoebox full of receipts. I push a button and I get a report. I know exactly how much HST has come in and gone out. I know what was a work-related expense and everything is formatted in a way that my accountant loves. And I actually pay my accountant less because there's less work for him to do. Now is the time to get going with FreshBooks if you haven't done it yet. 30-day free trial without a credit card required. So check it out. Go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand and enter CanadaLand in the how did you hear about us section and you'll get your 30-day free trial. Stephen, on this program, we take a moment to duly note that which requires due notation. Do you have something for us? Yes, I, I uh, was riveted today when seven of the 10 Bloc Québécois MPs have left the caucus of Martine Ouellette, their leader, complaining about her leadership style. They are separating from the separatists. Apparently, this is because Ouellette, who still has a seat in the National Assembly in Quebec City, is trying to, to use the Bloc as a more radical separatist organization than the Parti Québécois. There's a long tradition in the Bloc Québécois of sort of pursuing practical matters for Quebec, different issues, not always necessarily things having to do with Quebec separatism. And she's pushing these MPs too far. And so seven of 10 have left. And uh, it's just a strange story. A good time to check my blind spot when it comes to news from Quebec. Uh, I'm going to give it a read. Once again, where can people find that? Le Devoir has a good version of it. La Presse. And the English language papers as well. The Globe has a decent story on it. Duly noted. I have something. This is a, a, a column in the Toronto Star. And, you know, the column itself is fine. It's an opinion about Patrick Brown. Uh, no real issues there uh, with, with what was presented. Uh, the columnist is listed as a columnist is Jamie Watt of Navigator. How did that job interview go down? You know, like Toronto Star asks, 
so so what line of work are you in? And Jamie Watts says, oh, uh, I am paid by powerful hidden parties to manipulate public opinion. Yeah. Oh, awesome. You want to call them? Like, that's what we're doing now? When I tweeted about that, it was pointed to me, oh, yeah, well, Robin Sears, too. By no means is this a new phenomenon. But, you know, as the Toronto Star recently uh, fired all their interns who were doing a lot of the uh, of the actual news reporting, they're just handing over column space to people who won't tell you who they're paid by, wealthy, shadowy parties who pay them to manipulate us, to change the way how we feel about this. So it's not that I have a problem necessarily with the content of Jamie Watts' column in The Star, but I don't know who put him up to it or why or what his interests are in getting me to feel or think that way. And I have no idea why the Toronto Star would run a column by a crisis PR strategist. You look at these these panels uh, on the um, afternoon shows on CTV and, and CBC where you have GR people and sometimes I'm watching them and I know, oh, that guy gets most of his money from the oil industry, uh-huh. for example, and here he is critiquing the liberal government's pipeline play. Duly noted. Okay, Stephen, finally, we are going to talk about the newspaper bailout. It finally came in the budget, this multi-year process that people have been hearing so much about on this show and so little about elsewhere. I have my own conflict of interest disclosure whenever I talk about the newspaper bailout because as a media critic, I have a critique of it. I think that uh, the, the principle of whether or not journalists can credibly cover people who give them money is a critical issue that I, I can I can engage with as, as a commentator and a pundit. Uh, but there's also a practical concern that is my practical concern as a business owner, which is like what this would do to Canada's burgeoning, tiny, and slow to develop new digital news startup scene and and uh, what's going to replace these lumbering old old companies, uh, the disastrous effect that a, a uh, life support from government uh, for newspapers would have is something that I have a direct personal interest in. I put that out there whenever I talk about this. And what I want to say about what came in the budget for the newspaper industry in terms of a government bailout is that my first concern, the principle of, of media taking money from the government that it covers is very much alive. And that's my big problem with this. But my second concern as Canada Land's owner, as an entrepreneur, that this uh, is going to artificially support the old guard, uh, I ain't worried no more. At least I'm not worried nearly the same because what they came out with, instead of the $350 million per year that they were uh, advised to provide by Ed Greenspan, they have come out with $50 million over five years. So $10 million a year will go towards supposedly uh, paying for local journalism. And uh, I would not be surprised if that money, the majority of it went to old newspapers. But uh, I, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's enough to make that big of an impact. It seems like this was Melanie Jolie saying like the most meager of bones was thrown to this idea that government needs to have a role in this. What's your take? I have mixed feelings about the idea of a a newspaper bailout. I'm a newspaper person or a former newspaper person, and I'm alarmed at the disappearance of the local newsroom. And I think I'm more skeptical than you are about the startups and whether they will ever fill the role that's being vacated by the local newspaper reporter who covers town council and the courts providing a record. I'm I'm quite nervous about the prospect of 
crooked mayors, for instance. There's a lot of municipal corruption in this country that never gets uncovered. I, I think that without journalists have a watchdog and a scarecrow function. So I have, I am concerned about the idea of the government giving money to management with bad records. And I am concerned about the prospect of, of journalists being cowed if they're getting money from the government. However, I would point to the Canadian Periodical Fund, which, which uh, provides funding to Canadian magazines. And I'd be surprised if you could find a difference in tone in the coverage between Canadian magazines, which gets this money, and newspapers that don't. McLean's uh, being one of the beneficiaries, uh, we've reported on how, you know, McLean's takes a lot of money and then they stopped printing as much, but they kept the money and they axed magazines, but they kept the money. But, you know, if, if the question is, has that polluted McLean's journalism, we can point to a lot of fine journalism, a lot of fine reporting in McLean's that holds government accountable. And it's, 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 I never mean to suggest that, that the reporter is necessarily feeling like, oh, I can't run this story because uh, McLean's won't get its check. Uh, but as I mean, look back at that CBC conversation we had because CBC is dependent on government for its funding. They exist under a cloud of suspicion constantly to prove, you know, there, there's very little difference between a real conflict of interest and the appearance of a conflict of, of interest. And, you know, without getting into this, like a, a whole academic thing about this, this is a live question. It's, 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 it's a legitimate debate, Stephen, as to whether or not journalists can credibly cover those who pay them. And it's not a debate that we have had outside of like this show. And I don't know, Andrew Coyne's been on this, but, uh, if you read the coverage of the proposed newspaper bailout in, say, the Toronto Star, they don't even quote critics of the bailout idea who feel like this is a bad idea for for these basic principled reasons, that it's bad for journalism to be on the government dole. CBC had a supposed debate on The Current. It was a debate between Ed Greenspan, who, of course, is the author of the bailout plan, and his point of view is, yes, a bailout is good, and this isn't nearly enough money, and David Beers, the founder of the TAI, who said, this isn't nearly enough money. <laughs> there was no debate. It's, 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 it really erodes public trust in journalism if the public conception is, is that every journalist is getting underwritten by government. Uh, it, 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 it erodes people's faith in accountability journalism. No? Uh, yeah, no, you, you raise good points. Uh, I, was, I think... Uh, Day six had Selena Ross on with the opposite view recently, which I thought was good. Um, Absolutely, they, they they did, and I didn't know I didn't know that when I mouthed off about it on Twitter. You know, Day Six does some good stuff that the rest of the CBC doesn't do, and I give them props for it. And I think they're able to get away with it because you know I don't think the CBC wants to actually have this you know debate about whether or not getting money from government hurts your journalism because they're the CBC. Yeah. Um, but Day Six went there, and I think they can get away with it because it's on Saturday mornings, and the management doesn't listen to it. <laughs> I think it's my favorite show on CBC Radio at the moment. It's a very good show, and they'll be very mad at me for what I just said. But I think I think it, it is a good show, and and they're 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 always the exception that fucks up my argument because they're doing the stuff the rest of the CBC isn't. A bit off topic. I was pleased that they're starting to, to think about a nonprofit model. I think Canada badly needs a ProPublica style foundation that's supporting investigative journalism. And so far, the rules around charities mean that you cannot collect money from Canadian corporations, some of whom have funds for public interest and advocacy stuff, you could go to the banks and the big companies and say, give us a couple million bucks and we're going to fund some investigative journalism. If you look at what ProPublica has done in the United States, excellent, in-depth, the kind of systematic reporting that almost nobody in Canada can afford to do. 
data journalism, uh, public health journalism, justice system journalism. So that's one thing that I hope the government is taking seriously. That's in the budget, actually. Um, that's one thing that seems that they've listened to. But there's all, it's so problematic whenever the government gets involved in this. So the, the budget also says uh, over the next year, the government will be exploring new models that enable private giving and philanthropic support for trusted professional nonprofit journalism and local news. This could include new ways for Canadian newspapers to innovate and be recognized to receive charitable status. So just taking that apart, I have been calling and you've been calling and the Shattered Mirror Report is calling saying like, look, like for God's sake, if people want to give money to journalists in a nonprofit charitable way, fucking let them. You're blocked because charities aren't allowed to do journalism in Canada, which somehow the walrus subverts. I don't know how. That has blocked a ProPublica type thing in Canada. So just like legislating less and removing that prohibition is what I've been calling for. But here we have the government saying that they're going to try to figure out a way for trusted professional government making a judgment call as to who is a journalist and who isn't. Are you trusted or not? Are you professional or non-professional? And this reads to me like nothing but a method of making sure that Ezra Levant can't qualify. I think I might be okay with that, actually. I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with the government sitting there and saying journalists, not journalists. One thing I would point out is that there there may be a, somewhat of a cultural difference here between uh, Quebec and English Canada on these kind of questions. There's a, a French tradition and a tradition in Quebec that's more open to governments designating who's a journalist. I don't want to overstate it, but there, there is a, a sort of somewhat different tradition. In France, to get a press card, you have to pass certain tests and whatnot, whereas there's a, a sort of skepticism toward any kind of thing like that in English Canada. So that's something to watch for with the heritage ministers from Quebec. Yes, uh, that is a fundamental characteristic of our free press is that anybody can call themselves a journalist. This isn't Italy where you got to register and the government has control over who's a journalist or not. I mean, that's a fundamental to me that this is kind of, you know, tiptoeing towards encroaching upon, you know, and, and then they even write into the statement in the budget that this new charitable designation is something that they will extend to Canada's dying newspapers, that they'll be able to basically designate some section of their operation charitable, even though they're completely for-profit companies. And you know what? I don't have a problem with that. If, if you could imagine a, a newspaper like the Winnipeg Free Press, which I think is doing a, uh, a great job. It's one of the only independents in the country. If some Winnipeg public-spirited people wanted to raise the money for a Winnipeg Free Press investigative foundation to get four or five people to do public health and indigenous affairs reporting in Manitoba. It's hard to see how that's bad. No, that is, uh, th that's okay by me. If they then wanted to turn around and say to Canada land, if we wanted to do something similar, well, you know, you don't pass our test for trusted and professional. So uh, you can't have that status or any of the other of dozens of companies that are doing great things. Um, you know, that that's where it becomes, you know, difficult for me. Eddie Greenspawn, when he was on that, that that episode of the current addressing the same issue you're bringing up local local news, which I'm I'm completely in agreement. That's a huge concern that we're gonna we we we've got less journalism covering local government than ever before. He presented uh, this boogeyman that if we don't step in, if the government doesn't do more, it'll just be ma and pa shops covering local governments. Ma and pa shops are who should be covering local governments. Ma and pa newspapers. Newspapers were always small community-owned businesses. They knew their communities and they maintained small but healthy profit margins. It wasn't until they all consolidated that the papers went to hell and filled with wire copy and they started scaling back on local reporters. Artisanal boutique news is exactly what we need. Ma and pa shops can provide, you know, really good, um, you know, baguettes and uh, hipster candles 
and there's a lot of good barber shops. I've never had better haircuts than I do these days. What's wrong with artisanal news as a way of solving this local news problem? Uh, I, I'm not as afraid of that as uh, Ed Greenspawn wants me to be. I think that's good. Uh, I just don't see uh, enough of it. Because post-media is not dead yet. Because because they're, they they, they got to die first. That's why. I, I don't want to wish for the, the death of post-media, but I, I see your point. I just don't see the models yet. You, you, the Halifax Examiner, but that's Tim and one or two part-timers, I think. All Nova Scotia has, strangely enough, also in Halifax, might be the most successful model in terms of people who are actually doing rigorous journalism in the legislature and so on. We haven't seen that same kind of thing working effectively elsewhere. It, it, it just proves my point. You know, you're, you're pointing to markets where there was market failure of mainstream news. It was when the, the Chronicle Herald, you know, uh, went on strike for a year. That paper went absolutely to garbage that, that uh, Tim was able to build the Examiner and all Nova Scotia. That That's what is needed for these upstarts to make their case uh, to customers. Stephen? Thank you very much, Jesse. This was fun. Okay, Stephen, that is your Canada Land Shortcuts. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com and I read everything you send me. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at S-T-P-H-N-M-A-H-E-R. If you like Canada Land on Facebook, our stories will show up in your newsfeed. You can hit our website at canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. And if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.